And good evening. Welcome to the first Monday of the month radio book club on your community radio station, KZMU, found at 90.1, 106.7 FM, Moab, Utah, at the top of Rocky Road. We're joined by Sherry Zollinger from Back of Beyond Books. We have given Jesse a pass tonight. Mm-hmm. She is just rolling into town after a short vacay. So, uh, Jesse, we're going to uh, be in your stead tonight. But we're also joined by a very special guest writer, M. Dressler. And we'll be hearing from M. a little bit later on her uh, seventh or eighth novel <laughs> and uh, her third last ghost novel, uh, Our Eyes at Night. But first, as we're uh, habitually doing, we want to talk a little bit about uh, what's on the bestseller list through the IndieBound uh, bookstores and some events both at the Grand County Public Library and at Back of Beyond Books. So Sherry, you have the bestseller list in front of you. Any highlights that uh, strike your fancy? We're going to go uh, bestsellers before events? Is that what we're yeah. doing today? Okay, no problem. Uh, yeah, you know, it was interesting. It makes me think of, I wasn't here last time, last uh, month. And I was on a vacay myself in in good old Hawaii. Oh, oh yeah. We yeah. really picked on you a lot. Did you? Well, yeah. we had the waves crashing thing. in the background exactly. and the Mai Tais. And <laughs> I was definitely drinking a few <laughs> pina coladas. And uh, we were at a, a resort, and which was actually quite beautiful. And it was really fun to just look at you know so many people sort of lying poolside or lying beachside with that book you know whatever book that was and of course many of those were from the indie bestseller list it was just I that was actually turned out to be one of my uh, favorite things while I was there just sort of checking out you know what who's reading what and of course I saw a lot of a lot of hardcover fiction people you know, people are buying that that hardcover fiction to put in their suitcase, which sometimes surprises me. So, um, the Paris apartment, Lucy Foley, French Braid, and Tyler has a new one. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. She's been. This must be her fortieth year of writing. At oh, least. I mean, talk about seasoned. You wow. know, just completely seasoned. Uh, Dolly Parton and James Patterson, Run Rose Run. <laughs> <laughs> There's Indy both ends four. of the spectrum, James <laughs> Patterson and Ann Tyler. And I will say I did um, put Q Up the Paris Apartment on my uh, audio account and listened to that while I was on the airplane. And it's, you know, a wonderful thriller. I will say if you like Paris at all, it's it just takes place all over Paris. That's kind of why I picked it up. And it's it's definitely uh, around every corner is something dark. Around every corner is is some someone come out to jump at you. So uh, be ready for that. But it's if you're kind of wanting that kind of springtime, you know, just just pull out something that's fast and and a thriller. That that's a great one. Um, of course, while I was in Hawaii, I saw a lot of people reading Cloud Cuckoo Land, Anthony Doerr, um, and. Uh, Violetta by Isabella Allende. Allende again, another very another, seasoned. Yeah. yeah, I mean, how many? You know, if we were amazing to, novels. Yeah, um, as far as trade paper, um, Katsu, 
Katsuo, is that how we say Kazuo. it? Kazuo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ishiguro. Is Ishiguro, yes. Uh, Claire and the Sun is now number one. Of course, that was out in, in hardback a while back, and now it's out in paper. Where the Crawdads Sing is number two. Still I mean, one. well, it, it went off for a while. But now the movie trailer's now, been exactly. released. Exactly, and the way that works is so fascinating. It's back on number two with Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo as number three. Of course, Circe and Song of Achilles have been just on there steady as she goes. Um, the Vanishing Half, Britt Bennett, the paperback came out um, recently, so that's back on there. And I will also say that with uh, hardback nonfiction, uh, let's see here, where's more? We have Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart that stayed number one for a little while with Crying in H Mart, actually f by Michelle. Um, is it Zoner? Uh, that's come up to number two. And The Walk, which is a cookbook all about the actual walk and how to use a walk. That's number four or five. And then I actually want to talk about Amy Bloom's In Love, but I'll wait till later for a review. I did also um, read that while I was on vacation. Um, and I've got Stanley Tucci's Taste, taste. Uh, on my uh, what I'm reading list, so we can hit that. That's on the bestseller list Excellent. still. Excellent. Um, of course, with the trade paper, Mouse, uh, Spiegelman's Mouse, number one and two have stayed pretty steady. Boy, what a wonder uh, a censorship will do. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, Joan Didion's still on there, and Bell Hooks, Body Keeps the Score, of course, is still staying pretty strong. And then once Educated, Tara Westover's uh, Educated finally did come out in paper, Three and years that three later. years later, yeah, wow. and so that's staying up on the uh, indie list and staying pretty strong on there. And then that four agreements, boy, that just keeps popping up and popping off. And and uh, Ruiz, he, we sell those like candy. It's it's one of the ultimate gift books. Yeah, people buy two and three copies, yeah. and they're always handing them out. Yep. So that's a little bit of uh, uh, the array of our indie bestsellers. You know, you mentioned uh, where the crowd had sing and Delia Owen. I vividly remember reading uh, Cry of the Kalahari. Mm. This was a non-fictional title that her and her husband wrote probably in the 80s, late 80s maybe. And it absolutely captivated my, my idea of, of Africa, mm. although I'm not one to want to go there. But I love their writing. And then when her book came out a couple of years ago, I recognized the name and I just said, no, it's not the same person. person. <laughs> but it is. And it's remarkable how long her writing career has lasted and spanned. But this is her first fictional piece. Yeah, I'm very curious to see what she's working on. I imagine there's another fiction piece coming down the pipeline there. I would hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, uh, a favorite novel for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in terms of events, let me start off with Grand County Public Library. Uh, you know, the, the since Jesse's not here, we can toot their horn a little bit more <laughs> than perhaps uh, she would normally do. But what an amazing resource we have. You know, they were voted the best, best small library in the country a couple yeah. years ago. And it truly is. You walk in there and not only are the staff ready to help, but their resources are 
light and day better than most small county yeah. libraries. And their programming is amazing. Uh, I did not bring in their daily or weekly programming. They have, you know, children's programming. They have book clubs. The Castle Valley Library has events um, with Miss Jenny out there. And on and on and on. And I just hope all of you take advantage of your taxpayers' money and, <laughs> and uh, go into your local library. It's a, an amazing resource and one we can't take for granted. But they do have what sounds like a really fun event coming up on April 21st. They'll be welcoming uh, author Elizabeth Lava. And she has a new book called Stillness and Wilderness, which sounds right up our alley. Mm -hmm. A bold ride from despair to deep wisdom and love. So it's kind of a an autobiographical memoir on, on how wildernesses, again, save someone's soul and their life. That's April 21st at the Grand County Public Library at 6 p.m. And, of course, all events are free at the library. You can also pick up more information on Grand County Library's events from their website, grandcountyutah.net backslash library. So that's Excellent. one specific event <laughs> coming up. And I know Back of Beyond has several scheduled events. Yeah, it's been a while since we've had a multiples. <laughs> Because of COVID, we just have had very scattered programming and scattered events. But we've got some wonderful things. On April 14th at 6.30 p.m. at Back of Beyond Books, we will be welcoming Sue Scavo and Amy Irvine in celebration of Sue's debut book of poetry named, uh, it's called Buried a Place. And a little bit about that, um, this, this book of poetry is a, one woman's journey through the shadows of trauma, relationship, and story. Scavo asks, what do we do when we are lost? Who do we turn to for help on our journey? When does a teacher, a mentor, a brother, a father, no matter how seemingly beloved, become something else? When do we realize the stories we've been told we have been told are at their root stories against the body, the feminine, even the planet itself. And then, um, of course, we've got Amy Irvine, a beloved author of uh, Back of Beyond, uh, going to be facilitating this conversation with Sue. Uh, Sue is a seasoned dream analyzer as well as poet and uh, overall. I would say, plunger or deep thinker around the psyche. So this should uh, prove to be a, a really interesting conversation. Love to have you. And then, of course, we've got M. Dressler sitting right here with us. Hi. Hello. Yeah. What are we doing? We are doing an event with you. That's right. On April 20th, yes, is that Yes, on right? April 20th at 6.30. Now, we're doing this one via the interwebs. This is going to be an, a virtual reading. Um, and we have the link and everything set up on our website. Again, 6.30 on the 20th, we're going to be hanging out with M. And we're going to have a whole interview today with her. So I'm not going to go into what the book's about yet. Um, but that's why we have M with us today. We're going to be talking about the event and the, the this third book in a, a ghost series ghost i was gonna say ghost written series but that is not it <laughs> a series about a ghost um, and we'll talk about that in just a minute Beautiful. 
And then, uh, of course, on the 15th, right after, uh, on April 15th, we have Brianna Madia. She'll be signing her debut memoir, memoir, Nowhere for Very Long. And that's on April 15th between 4 and 7 p.m. again at the bookstore. And uh, that's just simply a signing. That's not going to be any kind of a reading. And we'll be having her sitting inside and sort of queuing people up as far as getting books signed uh, with her. And then uh, toward the end of May, May 21st, between 6 and 8 p.m. at the bookstore, Back Beyond, Craig Childs will be showing up, just, you know, appearing suddenly like a rabbit from the rabbit hole. <laughs> and I will be signing his new book, Tracing Time, Seasons of Rock Art on the Colorado Plateau. And, and again, that's not a full reading. That's just going to be him kind of coming, signing, hanging out, talking about his book with whoever comes through the line. So that's what's happening at the bookstore. Back to events, both yes. virtual and, and real. It's got to yes. feel good, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long time, but, you know, we're still very cautious. And for the uh, Seuss Gavo, it will probably require masks for yes. people sitting right in close proximity. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I know, Em, when we scheduled years, we were still afraid even to commit to it yeah. in, in yeah. store event. And we probably couldn't fit anyone, everyone anyway. Well, it's kind of appropriate for a ghost story that, you know, we, we manifest in a different way. I so. like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so it's our privilege uh, to welcome M. Dressler to the Radio Book Club here at KZMU. And I want to start by telling a little story. And it's a story about uh, my relationship with you. And it was, I felt like a ghost story because after... Uh, buying or opening up Arches Book Company and then buying back of Beyond Books, every once in a while I would hear a, a local requesting one of your books. And uh, sadly, a, a, your early two or three had gone out of print. Yeah. And so I would scour the, the interweb and and track down a copy and bring it in and, and pass it on. And this went on for three or four years and I was pretty convinced that you did not exist. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, here is this local author uh-huh. who, um, well, you can tell the story. You were actually teaching in North Carolina. Was, yeah. And so while you, you had a domicile here in Castle Valley, uh, you weren't here much yeah, of the and time. And I was kind of laying low, you know, It's because it's, it's, Moab can be a nice place to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's the perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I was. I was living out on Cane Creek at that time. Actually, not Castle Valley yet. I was living okay. in town. And I got, I have a story too, which is that when I very first visited Moab and saw at that time it had three bookstores, I was like, I can move here. <laughs> <laughs> I can live here. So after, you know, visiting in the 90s and then in the early 2000s, my husband and I, Dennis and I, moved here. And yeah, but just laid laid low for a, a little while because that can feel can feel good too, right? Mm-hmm. Particularly if you're a writer, just sort of harness your resources for a little while, and then yeah, and then spring it all on you later. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome <laughs> uh, officially after uh, we. I mean, we've known each other for a long time now, but uh, yeah, for a while there, I was just a yeah. little curious whether M. Dresser <laughs> was, was, was a ghost or not, which is a perfect segue into. Our Eyes at Night. Now, this is actually your third in a series, but 
maybe we should go back and talk a little bit about the, the first book and a little bit about what makes this what it is, this idea of a ghost story. But it's unlike any typical ghost story yeah. in that there's... Well, can you have a protagonist being a ghost? I, I don't know. Well, I wanted to find out. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah. You explored that. And then yeah. you have, and and I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but a ghost hunter. Yeah. And just get that movie out of your mind because this is the real thing. Yeah. So I, take it away. Yeah. So um, you had mentioned earlier that I'd written seven or eight books, and I think I, I, maybe eight if we throw in a novella, but half of those had been realist fiction, and that was uh, mostly what I had written before I came to Moab. And uh, then I settled down here, and uh, I was feeling, I don't know, kind of a, a lack of inspiration, not because of Moab, but because I was just had written four books. And um, I wanted to do something new, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I'd always loved ghost stories, you know. I, I, when I was young, I read The Haunting of Hill House and Turn of the Screw and even gothic novels that are not specifically ghost mm-hmm. stories, but like Jane mm-hmm. Eyre or Rebecca, mm-hmm. you know. So, and the thing about ghost stories is they're, they're, of course, they're great page turners, right? But they're also beautiful, many of them. They're, they're literary and they're engaging mm-hmm. and they're layered. So I think on some level I'd always admired them but never imagined myself writing one. I was firmly rooted, you know, in, in the realist tradition and <laughs> family psychodramas. And But anyway, I was feeling kind of depleted at one point, and I took a vacay, since we're talking about that mm-hmm. today, out to uh, Northern California. And I was driving along Highway 1, mesmerized by the scenery, you know, the, the Pacific Ocean and the spray and the crags <laughs> and the, uh, the beautiful little villages. And, uh, and I, my husband was driving the car, and I, I turned to him and I said, you know, it is so beautiful here. Even if you died, you wouldn't want to leave. And I meant that as just a glib little comment, but the minute I did that, whoosh, Mm. um, an idea, I'm not quite, a ghost kind of manifested in front of me and turned out to be the inspiration for my my Mm. main character that you were just describing, which is a ghost named Emma Rose Finnis, who narrates all of these books. So that's one thing, of course, Mm. as you know, that, that makes them different is that they're narrated from the perspective of the ghost. And once I realized I wanted to do that, then I realized I could upend all kinds of ghost tropes you know I could do all kinds of new things mm-hmm. with the narrative um, I could get away from the hokey ghost hunter you know and make him a ghost cleaner someone who is really invested in the idea of keeping order in the world and I could set that character against Emma Rose Finnis who absolutely you know has no interest in being laid to rest right um, but wants to be visible in the world um, after many years of having been invisible during her life and so the series has really been about finding out what happens when you let a ghost tell her story and when the ghost in particular was you know um, a poor working class servant Irish girl out on the in the logging camps in the wilds of Northern California who again was invisible all her life and doesn't you know want to be invisible anymore including in her afterlife and sort of see where where she goes and um, and have this sort of elemental struggle between these two these two figures one who believes she belongs in the world and the other who believes in the sanctity of the the boundary between life and death. So that launched the series. That's got a, if you listen, it's got a lot of good energy in it, right? When mm-hmm. you've got this sort of cat and mouse, this elemental struggle again between two characters who have completely different 
worldviews. And so that launched ultimately the series. And you've taken different locales for each of the books. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things, one of, and I'd never written a series before, you know, so um, I left the first book kind of open-ended. Um, and the book did well enough that I was invited to write more by my publisher. And But one of the challenges of a series is how do you keep it fresh, right? Mm -hmm. And so one of the ways I thought was to change the setting. And I realized that Emma from the West Coast um, had gone as far west as she was going to go. So I decided she would be driven eastward, you know, that that would be her trajectory. And so in the second book, she's up in the Sierra Nevada. And then now in the third book, she has come down here to our beautiful canyon country. And then the other way I think you keep series fresh um, is by having each book not just have a different setting, but kind of a different uh, thematic, you know, a different kind of question that it wants to explore. So that's what I've been figuring out through the, through the, the structure of the ghost narrative. Mm. So book number three, Our Eyes at Night, mm -hmm. does find us in canyon country. <laughs> and I, I say that in quotes because I'm, I'm always curious why a fictional writer insists on making up a fictional location when at least in my eyes it's <laughs> so pretty clear you know <laughs> your your town is briscoe yeah huh <laughs> what's that rhyme with cisco <laughs> yeah. uh the needle stick right <laughs> could that be pin hook i don't know <laughs> maybe um the castle mesa cemetery mm -hmm. plays a major mm -hmm. role although masters county Grand. I, well, <laughs> I got Grandmaster, so that's, that's the connection there. Yeah. So why not just use an actual locale? Yeah, and this actually started with the first book as well, because the first book is, is set in Mendocino, California, exactly. but I rename it Benito. Uh, the second book is actually set in Downeyville, which mm -hmm. is in the gold country, but I rename it White Bar. And then I come into this place and I, and I continue that tradition. And my feeling, well, first of all, this is speculative fiction, as we call it, right? Um, so it, it's, it exists in an alternate reality. Mm -hmm. We don't have ghost cleaners and things like that. Um, so partly it's just an extension of that, you know, being, being highly imaginative rather than bound by the literal but also in a way it's my my way to respect the landscape right to sort of cue to people that you know I I'm inspired by this landscape I want to I want to draw lessons from it and I want to talk about it and incorporate it in the work but I also want to create enough space right so that we know that this is not literally Moab right this mm -hmm. is not literally Cisco this is a fantasy version of these places um, that allows me to to interrogate things that I want to and talk about things that I want to um, without being constrained really by reality and again again create space around that right mm. so in a way it's my way of being respectful right this is not literally you know Moab but it's also a way to be imaginative at the same time and yet of the three books <laughs> this clearly is going to be my favorite because <laughs> I think I know where everything is happening yeah. and I think I know where the ranch is and I mm -hmm. I can so picture this yeah, yeah I've driven the Northern California coast. Mm. Uh, yeah. I've been in the gold country. So those spoke to me as well. But yeah, this one, it's home. Oh, this one I have to, t it's near and dear to my yeah. heart, right? I mean, taking nothing away from the first two, but this is my favorite. And, you know, I've always wanted, uh, as you said, Andy, I've been here a long time, right? First incognito <laughs> and then more exposed. Um, but it, it just took me a long time before I, I felt comfortable writing about this beautiful, complex mm -hmm. uh, place. And so I've always wanted to, but it wasn't until I realized Emma was coming this way 
and that I had learned enough, uh, not just about her, but about this place where we find ourselves, that I, could th I thought I could bring these two worlds together, the imaginative and the, the physical and the actual location of Canyon Country. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I love it because I got to write about this place. Do you know what I'm saying? I got to use these places that I love, albeit renamed, and celebrate them. And uh, a reader recently said to me that it made her fall in love with America again to mm -hmm. read this book. And that just, wow. that just touched me, right? Because I wanted to, it's many things, this book, um, but it's also a love song. It's a love song, I think, to the desert. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm glad you like it. We're talking with M. Dressler on the Radio Book Club on KZMU. We're celebrating the release of her eighth book. This is her third in the last ghost novel series, Our Eyes at Night. And to repeat, you're going to be uh, on a Zoom conference with Back of mm -hmm. Beyond on what's the date again, Sherry? April 20th. April 20th. At 6.30 on a Zoom, on Zoom. And I had a quick question actually about, I'm always curious, I was thinking about J.K. Rowling, you know, and mm -hmm. this idea that you create this world and it, she sort of created it on the front end. And then it was, a, it was a matter of sort of writing the seven books or, or whatever. So was, was your protagonist then at that onset going to be in Canyon Country eventually? Okay, so. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm shaking my head. No, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, no. yeah. so really yeah. that was kind of um, a matter of the publisher kind of saying, we love what you did with this one, let's go on. Yeah. And then in the second one, similarly? Yeah, yeah. So, and I will say the first one I did leave pretty open-ended, yeah. right? There was, But again, I'd never written a series before. Right. I had no idea if I would want to. I had no idea if the book would do well. Right. Ended up being the bestseller of my career. You know, kind nice. of changed my yeah. life. Um, it's been optioned by Hollywood mm -hmm. uh, to be made into a film. So yeah, so when that opportunity came along, mm -hmm. I seized it. And uh, what I noticed in that book, again, was that she, the, really the last gesture of the book is that she turns toward the east. And so I came up with this idea of her making sort of a beeline across the country, almost yeah. like manifest destiny in reverse, yeah. you know. And when I did that, I was lucky enough to look down at the map and, and see, you know, oh, well, first she'll go here. And then it's possible that she could go all the way to this place that we live in and that I love. So that was just beautiful and serendipitous. And yeah. so eventually, yes, I had an idea that I would end up here, but not not, not at, the, at, the at the outset. No, not at all. I, I write by the seat of my pants. I really do. I, I just sort that, of fly. That, I fly yeah. like you, a ghost. As you're describing this process you know a lot of writers do a full outline and others say the characters write themselves yeah. what camp do you close much closer to that so Rowling I think if I remember correctly you know had boxes mm -hmm. of notes mm -hmm. and you know and really and maps and, and maps all sorts and of things yeah so there there are writers who completely map out the world yeah. and outline and then there are those of us who really just you know just live on the edge yeah um, and one reason I love that is because well I tried the other way honestly and I just I start to feel constricted if I know what's going to happen um, but I also figure if I don't know what's going to happen next, then the reader won't know either, right? And so it's easier <laughs> to keep things rich and suspenseful um, and page-turning, um, which is, again, a quality of the ghost story that I, I really want to maintain, even as I'm exploring, you know, larger issues. I yeah. want that, that page-turning quality. And so, yeah, so not knowing is fun. It's fresh for me and, and scary, uh, no pun intended, and, and uh, interesting. One of the most gripping parts of this novel was when the sheriff and 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 philip pratt who's the the cleanser mm -hmm. is going up to to needle stick 
And you're describing an old fort that apparently the ghosts have rebuilt partially. Mm -hmm. But then Philip turns and he sees ghost figures on the wall, the, the, the pictographs yeah. that we know so well, the, the Barrier Canyon style. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I got chills because <laughs> when you talk about the Great Gallery, sometimes those are described as ghosts. Yeah. yeah. And to the, me, that just like, ta-da. Yeah. yeah. And the way that they look like ghosts, I mean, on the mm -hmm. wall, you know, the, the way the bodies mm -hmm. are, are formed and they're amorphous and yet ethereal. they're ethereal yeah. and powerful at the same time. And, of course, the problem with Philip Pratt, who was our ghost cleaner, uh, and I was at pains, right, to get, as you said earlier, to get away from, like, ghost hunter and ghost buster, right? So very early on making, making clear, you know, this is a, he's a thoughtful man, but he just doesn't believe in the value of ghosts. And so even when he looks at those pictographs you know he can't he can't embrace them in the way that he's not moved to he's not chilled by them you know he's a very uh, unemotional yeah he's, straightforward he's got a job to do he's got a job to do he absolutely believes in in the worth of what he's doing mm -hmm. you know he patrols a border mm -hmm. he's very much about control and he thinks it would be chaotic if mm -hmm. we continue to let ghosts just, you know, wander at will and <laughs> do their thing and do their thing. Yeah, and he uh -huh. believes he, he sincerely believes they're tormented, you know, and mm -hmm. Emma is not tormented um, and wants to put them down. And so that's I found that interesting when I was writing this book. So I, here's this landscape that I love. But I have two very different characters looking at it. Right. And so Emma, uh, the ghost, I think, is is really intrigued by the spaces and the possibility that's openness and mm -hmm. the possibility of refuge for her and other ghosts and at first she doesn't realize there are already ghosts here you know right. um, and so she's really intrigued but Philip Pratt you know looks at it as a place where where can stuff hide you know where the desert is full of nooks and crannies that can mm. hide ghosts and so he scans the the place in a completely different way and that was sort of fascinating because that's what we do right as human beings and so it was fascinating to see mm. the landscape through their different perspectives mm. Did you read a lot of ghost stories uh, before this as research? Or Not a lot, no. no. And uh, those classics that I yeah, mentioned, of course. right? And, yeah. and then when I realized I wanted to... Um, wanted to really work to undo a lot of uh, traditional yes. ghost narratives, then I, I just sort of embarked on my own. And, Love that. Yeah, and tried to undo things like, you know, ghosts are supposed to be tied to a place. Mm -hmm. Well, Emma is not, clearly. Right. She's on the move. And ghosts are supposed to be miserable problems that need to be solved. And once they are, you don't have to, you put them down. You yeah. don't have to think about them anymore. And Emma doesn't see herself that way. And, yeah, so um, for mm -hmm. me, it's always been, that's been more interesting. Love that. I think we're going to, have you do a short reading in a second but one quick aside are you a bird watcher i have done a little bit yeah well <laughs> magpies play a role and then one of your characters is named tohi yeah that's uh, right yeah, yeah. Huh? i don't i would not claim to be a, a an expert but i have been on the christmas bird count yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay yeah. all right well again yeah. that that spoke to me so. yeah and magpies are, are playful and and uh Mischievous. mischievous yeah they're they're kind of ghost like they're black and white you know and uh yeah and then i i love that character whose name is Towie. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. do you want to read a short uh, segment sure thanks for the invitation so um in this book actually it's divided talk about two perspectives part of the book is told from the perspective of the ghost hunter philip pratt and part of it is told from the perspective of emma rose finnis uh, our ghost and um 
part of the novel is structured around this image of ghosts crossing the landscape. It's almost biblical, you know, that Emma yeah. is leading this band of ghosts across the desert. So this is a section where she's really uh, leading a band and coming into the desert for the first time. And I love, I love reading it because it's her looking at this place that we love. She says, it was just a smattering of us school children and grown-ups, young and old and in between, who made it out of the mountains and down onto the plains. The earth turned hard and white with salt in places. Some of us already knew what a desert was, having crossed it before. But I, I'd never seen the like of it, so barren yet beautiful a place. The gnarled half-leafless trees, the bones scattered, not only of once living things, but of machines and towns and fence posts and windmills fallen on their backs, of riverbeds dried and the earth rumpled into heaps. Sometimes the view was as bare as the logged hills of my childhood, at other times stubbled with spiny bushes that would have pricked and hurt us if we felt things in the ordinary way instead of with our sight, the sense we ghosts are left to feel and shape and stroke the remembered world with. We settled onto the dry ground and walked on as the more open and strange it became, this land streaked with bright colors under a white blue sky while the sun poured down, surely hot even if the heat didn't trouble us, and so wide it spread flat on the ground like an egg cracked open. Underneath my skirt and boots, the crust of the earth held what looked like tiny hard mosses in its grasp. These are, there are living things here, I thought, but they're low and careful like us, and not so many living people. What luck. Hmm. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. 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 So I, I love that she gets to see, you know, biologic soil crust. Mm -hmm. I had, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. The ghost is noticing the biologic <laughs> soil crust, right? <laughs> Jane Belknap would be very pleased. <laughs> she would, I think. <laughs> There's some really beautiful natural, you know, history in there uh, that I think is also... This, this wonderful hybrid, you know, um, yeah. I think that people, especially from here, are going to be excited, you know, to... I hope so. Yeah. I think of it as an eco-gothic. Yeah, eco-gothic. I, I was going to say, what, yeah. are, what are the words here? Yeah, yeah, because that it, it's, is such yeah, a great it's word. It's partly a ghost story, but it's but also very it's much embedded in this place. In the ecology. And in the yeah. ecologies of yeah. this place. And Emma is very, con you know, she, at one point, she pretty says much says flat out right, you know, the way the living are going, y'all are leaving the planet more fit for the dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so yeah. it's partly, yeah, it, it's a book that thinks about climate change. And, yeah. And what we are doing to the landscape and whether or not we are indeed rendering it more fit for the dead and if they shall inherit the earth, which is a, a, mm. a scary thought, mm. you know. And one of the things I'm interested in, I think also in the series, is asking that question, are we scared mm -hmm. of the right mm -hmm. things? Because I don't necessarily think ghosts mm. are what we should be scared of, right? Um, there are other things that are far more frightening. Yeah. yeah, and Emma draws our attention to that in unexpected ways. Well, as we're sitting here, I'm doing a little bit of geography, and I'm thinking, okay, eastward, uh, the plains of Kansas. Yeah, uh, what's yeah. next? Don't you think the heartland, maybe, <laughs> yeah. right? And the yet, Badlands. Yeah, yeah. And yet it's a cliffhanger because we really don't know what happens to Philip Pratt yeah. in the in yeah. the end, and I'm not going to say anything more than that, <laughs> yeah. but could there be a fourth novel? I think there could. I'm going to rest for a little bit. Mm. I've written three books in five years. Yeah. And so I'm, I think I just need to rest for a little bit and think and dream and imagine. But you're absolutely right, Andy. I have looked at the map, yes, and the heartland <laughs> The heartland is there. And if I can find the right story, right, that's, that's the, the important yeah. thing, not to just keep writing a series just to do it. But if I can continue to find 
you know, good reasons if I continue to find big questions to ask and reasons to keep these two characters going um, and, and the other characters that are now swirling around them, then I'll certainly do it. But I think for a while I'm just going to hike. You deserve it. Yeah. Well, this has been wonderful, Em. Thank you for joining us at the top of Rocky Road. This is the Radio Book Club on KZMU. And we hope you stick around because our next segment on the Radio Book Club is What Are You Reading? <laughs> and I'll let Sherry kick off with uh, her, her first Well, review. I'm going to invite uh, uh, a review from outside. of. Well, actually, this comes in through Back of Beyond Books. And in some ways, it's keeping with the theme. Here we've got ghosts, and I'm going to introduce uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Cool. And so we, every, we've got this great uh, staff picks that we do every Monday. Someone from our, our staff actually writes a, you know, a, a review. We put that up on our social media. We have that book out in, in front at our window. And it's proven to be great just to see our staff kind of writing and, and um, really, really getting to the, uh, the heart of like what is their favorite literature. Well, one of our um, staff members, Alyssa, she uh, is no holds barred lover of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Well, there's a book that just came out. It's called Into Every Generation, A Slayer is Born. (laughs) How Buffy Staked Our Hearts by Evan Ross Katz. So I actually, I read this this morning. I was like, I I just want to relay this um, review. So I'm going to read it um, by Alyssa from uh, Back of Beyond. 2022 marks 25 years since Buffy the Vampire Slayer first aired, and Evan Ross Katz has given us the sweetest gift, just like that time in season three when Angel gave Buffy a book in French for her birthday with the inscription, always in the front, and maybe she was distracted but was still so dreamy, parentheses. In celebration of this cultural phenomenon, I'm what you might call an avid, read as rabid fan of the Buffyverse, so this book has been calling me for months. And this book is just out. It's called Into Every Generation. Katz did not disappoint. Reading his insights, his theories, his research, and his interviews of cast and other mega fans felt like sitting in Sunnydale High School Library, excitedly reliving all the best and biggest bad times we've had together. Who knew Stacey Abrams could list off her fave episodes (laughs) by title in a series spanning seven seasons, The Body, Innocence, Hush, The Eye, and Team, if you're wondering. So now I'm friends with Evan and Stacy, and it's glorious. Don't worry, though. Part of what makes me certain Evan is a good friend is that he doesn't shy away from the show's for- shortcomings either. Critical analysis of what Buffy did and did not accomplish, as well as the long shadows cast by the show's creator, Joss Whedon, only offers a deeper appreciation for everything the Scoobies lived through with us. And it's that depth that keeps us coming back for more this many years later. If you or anyone you know loves the chosen one in a way that makes people scratch their heads because they haven't sat down and watched an episode yet, this book is a must. (laughs) (laughs) So that's Buffy. Oh, that's Into Every Generation of Slayers Born, How Buffy Staked Our Hearts by Evan Ross Katz. And that's Alyssa's staff yeah. pick from mm-hmm. Back of Beyond. Yeah. Well, I guess we're on to a theme. Yeah. Because the <laughs> Is most there a theme going? recent novel before <laughs> Our Eyes at Night was Wiley Cash's latest, 
when ghosts come home. <laughs> so what's going on here? Now, Wiley Cash uh, is a, a North student of Craig Childs, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Craig, every time Wiley has a new book come out, just gushes about it, and I've picked up two of Wiley's, and I haven't gotten past the third chapter. But I keep thinking, okay, there's something here, and When Ghosts Come Home finally did it for me. And this is a novel that takes place in the 80s along the uh, coastal range, or coast of North Carolina, a barrier island, and it's a small county or small town sheriff who hears what he thinks is uh, possibly a plane crash. He lives adjacent to this rural airport, goes out to investigate, finds a, a young black man slain next to a ghost plane that's empty. And it then leads to, of course, his background as, as a small county sheriff, his wife who's suffering from cancer, his daughter who just lost a child, who's just moved back home. She's reuniting with all of her high school friends. Meanwhile, he's up for re-election, and his opponent is a very corrupt, very white, very southern uh, neo-Nazi. And it's pretty apparent that he's going to lose this election. And so it brings up the civil rights era 20 years hence and how everything is still lingering in the South. Mm -hmm. And I found it a very gripping, uh, well-researched, well-written novel. Mm -hmm. It's by Wiley Cash, When Ghosts Come Home. Mm -hmm. And Wiley does not shy away, right, from the... The oh, harsh no, reality no, he, of the of the politics of that region. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I knew him a little bit when, as you said, I, I taught out in North Carolina for a while, and yeah, he's a good one. Yeah, I think if I may, I bring in a book. Please, oh, yeah. of course. Yeah. Of so, course. Um, although this is a little bit odd, um, so one of the things writers get to do is we get advanced copies mm -hmm. of books, so before other folks get them, so that we can read and review them and blurb them. So this one's not coming out until October, but it's one of those books that I just want to start talking about. <laughs> So we can hear the title, right? Mm -hmm. And and it is kind of continuing the theme in a different way. It's called American Refuge, and it's by an author named uh, Dia Abdo, who is Palestinian by birth and who works with refugee populations. And it's a timely book, right, because mm -hmm. um, the stories of refugees are and need to be in the foreground right now. And But they, they are kind of ghosts to us, I think, in a lot of ways. You know, we don't necessarily see refugee populations clearly. There are a lot of myths that circulate around them. And what Dia has done is written both a memoir and, an, and um, a collection, right? So partly an account of her own status and her own family status as refugees from Palestine, but it's also an in-depth and incredibly gorgeously written book uh, that looks at the lives of about five different refugees um, and refugee families that have come to America from different places around the world. And it just combines so beautifully literary language with scholarly knowledge and, and research about uh, what is happening to refugees, how they, how they view their resettlement, not how mm. we look at them, but how they re, uh, experience resettlement. And to me, it's a really necessary book um, because, again, we, we tend to not hear the stories from the point of view of these people. And I'm sure one reason I'm interested in it is, as I was suggesting from my own work, I'm interested in what, you know, seems to live in the shadows, right, mm -hmm. and really needs to stand out 
in the light. And it's just an incredible book that I think we're going to be hearing a lot about. It's already getting rave reviews from people like Naomi Shihab Nye, uh, Poet Laureate. And uh, yeah, so I just, yeah, I'm going to just start repeating that title, Mm -hmm. American Refuge, a beautiful book. Um, about an important subject and bringing something into the light uh, that needs to be there. The author again? Dia Abdo, A-B-D-O. And who's publishing that one? Um, Steerforth. Okay. Yeah, Steerforth, yeah, and already getting a lot of great buzz so i'm excited about it yeah. and i'm sure the yeah. library will have a couple copies i think so i think it's it's a you know steerforth is a fairly small press mm-hmm. but with wide exposure and i have the feeling the book will deservedly find its way into mm. all kinds of conversations great yeah. great sherry what do you have up next well i would love to have kept with the theme but <laughs> I, in, in a way maybe i am just given that um you introduced a, 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 a part memoir um, I want to talk about, it's called In Love uh, by Amy Bloom, a memoir of loss and love, and or love and loss. And Amy's done quite a bit of fiction. I have read her short stories and love a lot of her work. But this, you know, this just came out. This is the story of her, a memoir of her husband of 15 years getting uh, early onset Alzheimer's. And so it's it's essentially the story of, of them finding out and him deciding that he was going to take the assisted suicide route. And they end up uh, going through uh, the process of getting themselves to Switzerland, where indeed um, they did go through with this. And she has such spare and non-saccharine prose that, and, and the way she gets to their relationship so, um, so real and, and, and this kind of impossible situation where your partner asks you to, to help you go through this. And uh, the, 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 just the everyday, um, things that she wrote about in his descent into Alzheimer's and then their trip to Switzerland and her ability to uh, bridge, to play the bridge between um, her partner and his world, meaning his family, his, his, his mother who was still alive, and all of them with questions and wanting to have influence. And he kind of just gave her this task you know that that I need help doing this, and she took it to heart, and and um, and you go through every single moment with her, all the way to the very end, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful, it's spare, it's a true love story um, that doesn't um, you know go into any real uh, saccharine place, and so I greatly you know if if these themes are of interest, it's it's absolutely beautiful. Amy Bloom mm-hmm. and the title again? In Love. It's just In Love. That's Pretty the simple. T- that's the title. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Sherry. I think I'll switch gears tremendously and segue into Stanley Tucci's oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. recent <laughs> memoir. It's, my, it's called Taste, My Life Through Food. Many of our listeners, I'm sure, know uh, Tucci through his movies, whether it's Big Night, which I didn't realize took him... S- so so long to to find a producer and put it together uh 
Julie and Julia. He he played uh, mm-hmm. uh, the husband. Yep. <laughs> Julia Child. <laughs> uh, I did a great job in that actually. <laughs> Devil wears Prada. Oh, and he's good in everything. Oh, yeah, he yeah. Really is. When he, he really shows is. up, I'm happy. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But yeah. more recently, he's been doing more documentary work. He did a I think it's a six part series on food in Italy, and this just fits right into that. His his memoir through food, but I I just love food memoirs because yeah. it I'm not a cook. <laughs> I, I like eating and I like good food, but it's not something that I've ever taken under my belt, but I can live vicariously through these people. So if you've read Ruth Reichel's books or read her mm-hmm. reviews or uh, Bill Buford, who did uh, two or three books on, on eating and food, a uh, New Yorker writer, uh, you'll really like Stanley Tucci's book. Plus, he's a, a consummate name dropper. <laughs> he's always inviting, you know, all these stars over. Ryan Reynolds yeah. is coming over for dinner again tonight. <laughs> yes, I shamelessly name drop, and I will again. But um, all of a sudden, the, the memoir takes this amazingly scary turn in that he was diagnosed with cancer with a tumor at the base of his tongue. Mm. And again, his whole life right now is based on speaking and eating. And tasting. And, and, taste. and taste. And all of a sudden, he's told by his doctors that it's potentially that he can't do any of these things any longer. And it's like, oh, my gosh, what would you do? And yeah. how would you handle that? Mm-hmm. And fortunately for all of us, uh, they think they got it all. Mm-hmm. And his taste has returned his ability to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the impetus, you think, for the, for the memoir? That no. The I, no, not necessarily. Based <laughs> no. on, on the timeline mm. f- of the book, mm. that came towards the end of the pandemic, mm. or mm-hmm. last year, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So unless he was hiding it and, yeah. and changed the chrono- chronology, chronology. Gotcha. Gotcha. of his life story, mm-hmm. uh, it just was part of wow. that. Yeah. Wow. So that's Stanley Tucci, Taste My Life Through Food. Well, we're going to put you on the spot again, Em. We have time for one oh, more review, okay. if you have one. So this, so I just did a book that hasn't come out yet, and now I just read an older book. Is that all of right? Of course, yeah. absolutely. Because I'm a writer, and I, I really, when I'm writing, I don't, I just don't read as much, and so yeah. I fall behind. And so I've just read the Overstory, ah, which blew yes. my mind, <laughs> and I think is always worth saying again, the Overstory, <laughs> right? Because it just totally. absolutely has changed. The way that I look at trees, the way that I look at the ground, mm-hmm. the way that I look at fungi, mm-hmm. um, and it is—it is an absolutely magnificent book, isn't it? The writing, the sheer scale of it, the intimacy at the same time, the humanity, um, as well as the dignity that it gives to all living things. And to me, it feels like prophecy. You know, mm-hmm. it feels more like prophecy than than novel. And so I'm just greatly moved by by mm-hmm. anything that ambitious. I haven't read his his latest. His but newest. Yeah. Have you yeah. read? Yeah. Well, I haven't. No, no, I haven't yet either. But and I'm and I, you know, I get sometimes you get the feeling that everyone else has read a book but you, you know. And <laughs> yeah. so I, it, I'm so glad I read it. And then, but I'm still running into people who haven't, you know. Yeah. And so it's it's nice to say, oh, this one, this one, this one. Yeah, yeah. That one definitely look. showed yeah. up on the on the radio with us. Did it? So yeah. yeah, we've uh-huh. all reviewed it several. Yeah. Well, yeah. through the round robin. But this yeah. is so bizarre because as we are talking about our eyes at night, and we we're talking about going east with your ghosts. I literally said, what about the characters in the overstory who took Mm. the photographs of the trees for a hundred years in the Midwest? That literally is what I first thought of of 
<laughs> going east and going into the plains. Right. Yeah. So, and and ghosts can be such different. The ghosts are photographs, and photographs are ghosts too. You know, they're different, and we're haunted in different ways. Yeah. Um, oh my God, that just makes me so happy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that came to you. The overstory. Yeah. 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 Richard Powers. Richard Powers. Yeah. Well, we're into the speed round, Sherry. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, actually, I did. I well, okay. I did want to say that. Um, when I worked at Well, this is just an anecdote about ghosts. So final anecdote. When I worked at Weller's, Sam Weller's bookstore in Salt Lake, talk about, you know, a place that held ghosts. And so about maybe three or four times a year, the ghost finders or the ghost hunters would actually show up when we closed to spend the night in the bookstore as as a you know a very serious venture you know just to and there were so many interesting stories which then makes me think of the sentence by louise Ardrich. oh i just, oh, I just yes, wrote that yes, down right, right here and so i was like well in this final round <laughs> yeah. you know we have mentioned her already but it's worth mentioning talk about a ghost story <laughs> in a bookstore and um, beautifully written, and Andy reviewed that a while back. Did but as I think, did Jesse yeah. last I, week, last oh, month. Oh, really? Yes, yes. <laughs> we just keep ringing yeah. that one up. Ghosts are hot, right? Yeah, now. ghosts <laughs> are hot. They are. They're just. I mean, there's yeah. sort of like semi-possession in that, and yeah. you know, and the way that she uh, runs that storyline is absolutely beautiful too. So, that was kind of my nod to to ghosts and nice. bookstores nice. and yeah, big nod. Yeah. Well, my speed round pick is anything but because it's Jim Harrison's complete poems, over 1,000 collected poems in three volumes from Copper Canyon Press. And I'm going through a little transition, and I have decided I'm going to read every poem in that book. Wow. One a day. Love it. And see... See what, what happens. happens. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, and live and breathe each page. Yes. Wow. Beautiful. Milan, you yes. get the last word. Okay. So I'm going to speak up for a book called Until We Fall by the feminist press Jaded Ibis Press, written by a young author named Nicole Zelniker. It's sort of in keeping with our theme. It's speculative. Again, it's dystopian fiction. Um, what I like about it is that it's not subtle. I'm sometimes I, I love subtle writing and poetry and literary mm-hmm. fiction, and sometimes I just like books that hit you over the head. And this is a dystopian novel that looks at a future in which America has divided into two different countries and is being overseen by a dictator, and it's about resistance. And again, it's, it's not subtle. It's deeply moving and human by a young up-and-coming writer. So it's called Until We Fall uh, with Jaded Ibis Press. Mm. Beautiful. Well, thank you, M. Dressler, for joining us on the Radio Book Club, and we look forward to your fourth novel in the last Ghost Novel series, and we look forward to your event. Remind us, Sherry, uh, details on the event. Yes, on the 20th. On the 20th at 6.30 via Zoom, and check on our website for that link. This is KZMU, Radio Book Club, first Monday of every month. Thank you for listening. Thanks for letting me come into your space with all things literature. (laughs) 